Welcome to the Defiant Podcast. The internet of money is being built with blockchain technology and without banks. We call it DeFi, short for decentralized finance. And this is where you can hear the builders and users of this cutting edge world tell their stories firsthand. I'm your host, Camila Russo. In this week's episode, we speak with Mike Novogratz. Mike is the CEO of Galaxy Digital. He started his career at Goldman Sachs and then led a macro hedge fund at Fortress, which was shuttered in 2015. He then went all in on crypto and founded Galaxy Digital in 2017, an investment bank for digital assets. After grinding through the 2018 and 2019 bear market, Mike says he can finally breathe. He is convinced that Bitcoin is de-risked. To him, there's no doubt that Bitcoin is never going to zero and that there's enough critical mass to say it's an asset class on its own. Novo, as he's known, thinks we are going to see a paradigm shift and we'll see everyone from Morgan Stanley and JP Morgan to Google and Facebook announce big crypto projects in the next few months. While Bitcoin is firmly established as digital gold, to him, Ethereum is more of a venture bet because it's not totally finished. It's getting there, and so the bet is it's going to happen, not that it has happened. Novo is wildly bullish DeFi. He says the threat to the banking system and payment is DeFi, not Bitcoin. But that also means the big guys are going to fight back with lobbying and regulation, because protocols like Uniswap and Aave are going after their business. About the hype and rally in the crypto market, Novo says this time it's different. Unlike in 2017, he doesn't believe we're in a bubble. He says we're in a movement. Before we get to it, here's a word about our sponsors. Don't let high gas costs keep you out of Ethereum. At Balancer, you can trade all you want and get most of the gas costs back in your pocket. In their new Bal for Gas campaign, traders are receiving six figures worth of Bal tokens every week. And with V2 just around the corner, Balancer is becoming the one-stop shop for DeFi liquidity. Balancer V2 brings stable pools and weighted pools tightly integrated under a single protocol, flash loans, lending via asset managers, and much more. Check it out at balancer.finance. Check out Kraken, where you can earn additional rewards by staking some of your favorite DeFi assets. With more than 1 billion in crypto staked, including 350,000 ETH, Kraken has paid out 27 million worth of rewards to their clients. Pay a trade twice a week and you can earn up to 20% annually. Sign up today at kraken.com and start earning some of the most popular DeFi assets, including Polkadot, Uniswap, Aave, and more. Sirion offers a simple interface to access and use decentralized finance. You can connect your favorite wallet, trade tokens, liquidity provider shares, and vaults in a single transaction. And then you'll be able to track your PL, average costs, and fees paid. All of this now is also available on mobile. Blockchain technology is a series of compromises, whether it be on speed, decentralization, or security. No layer one protocol supports everything enterprises, developers, and consumers need. Casper aims to provide the blockchain ecosystem with a solution that makes no compromises around decentralization, security, or performance. Learn more at casper.network. Okay, um, so here we are with Mike Novogratz. Thank you so much for joining me, Mike. Welcome to the Defined Podcast. I'm excited. 
Me too. So um, Mike is the CEO of Galaxy Digital. He's a former hedge fund manager at Fortress and a Perma Bitcoin bull. Um, so really excited to hear all your thoughts about the current you know, environment for Bitcoin and crypto, your thoughts on DeFi. But as always, I like to start with the beginning and what got you into crypto in the first place. I mean, going from, um, you know, the traditional finance and starting out your career at, at Goldman Sachs and then Fortress into, you know, starting your own uh, crypto investment fund. Um, how did that happen? Sure. So listen, I'm a macro investor. Right. Macro investors look at trends in the world, politics, economics, uh, you know, psychological trends, political trends and make big bets. Um, bets in interest rates, bets in equities, bets in currencies. And I still do that. I on the side run a lot of macro risk. Uh, and Bitcoin, when it was first introduced to me in 2013, felt like a macro investment you know, a very fringy one, very speculative one. Uh, but here it was a, a piece of code that was claiming that it could be a decentralized currency and that it would live outside of sovereignty. Uh, it would, outside of US sovereignty or Japanese or Chinese sovereignty, it would have its own sovereignty. Mm -hmm. um, and that appealed to a lot of people because it was a limited quantity currency. Uh, at that point, uh, it's still a limited quantity. I don't think it's a currency anymore. I think it's an asset. Mm -hmm. uh, but then it was a limited quantity currency. And so I just quickly thought, you know, where we're, people are really scared in 2012, 13 about inflation because of quantitative easing. So you've got people that are worried about inflation. Uh, you had a group of libertarians who were sick of the government from the great financial crises. And uh, there was a backlash against you know, all this spending. Um, the cool cypherpunks that had gotten, had helped build this community were all excited about it and the Chinese were buying it. And so I thought, oh, perfect speculative asset. And so I bought it originally um, with the mindset of a speculative asset. Mm -hmm. Buy something at X, because you think it's gonna go to 4X mm -hmm. uh, or 10X. And because I became a, Bitcoin TV personality <laughs> uh, or a podcast personality, or I got invited to speak, it forced me to really start trying to understand how it worked more and understand meeting more and more people. And, you know, the deeper I dug, the kind of more excited I got. Mm -hmm. um, but it really wasn't until 2015. Uh, December 15, I had, I had left Fortress, my hedge fund, a few months earlier. And I went to visit my college roommate, Joe Lubin, who runs Consensus. And at that point, I think I finally understood that this was really a revolution. Uh, the blockchain was a way of rebuilding the financial architecture of the world. Uh, and not just the financial ar architecture, the consumer architecture, the creativity architecture of the world in a more fair, egalitarian, transparent way. Hmm. And it was the spirit of his office uh, over in Bushwick, uh, where I was like, damn, these guys are playing for keeps. They don't care about the money, they care about change. And then I threw myself in a little further because I thought, well, this is cooler, right? It was the big FU to the, to, to the system. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of young people involved uh, and it was global. And so my real second wind 
was 2016 where I kind of got committed. And I started speaking again and going to conferences and trying to really understand the space. Um, what's ironic, or not ironic, which is kind of cool is a lot of those dreams of 2016, DeFi and you know, IP on the blockchain, they didn't really exist until five months ago. Mm -hmm. right? DeFi's exploded in the last five months. NFTs are exploding in the last few months. And so we are, you know, Joe Lubin sounded like a maniac when he was first telling me this stuff. And I was thinking of it like a trader. I'm like, hey, enough already. I'm going to buy Bitcoin. I understand why Bitcoin's going to go higher. Um, but now the whole puzzle is coming together. And I think what's really important from a listener perspective, uh, I said this on a clubhouse recently, you know, for seven years, people have been in this space anxious. Oh, it could go away. You know, like I'm... I'm, I'm hodling and then I get wiped out and it comes back. And there's been this anxiety in the space. Um, Bitcoin could go to zero, people would say. I never believed it could go to zero. Um, I think in the last two months, we can categorically say Bitcoin and crypto has become an asset class. And it's not going to zero. It's not going away. It's going to have more people working in it next year than this year. It's going to have far more... Uh, capable people moving from traditional finance. I just saw it. I look out my door. I walked in today. We had five new employees, all awesome. And I was like the happiest day I've had at Galaxy in six months because I was like, wow, look at this talent we've got coming into our space. That's good for crypto. It's mm -hmm. good for, and it's good for the world. And so I think we are going through a paradigm shift, right? You're going to see Morgan Stanley and JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs all announce big crypto uh, uh, projects in the next few months in their wealth manage management uh, channels, uh, in payments, uh, at one point in custody for, for banks. And so you're gonna see the tech companies come, and you've already seen it, right, with PayPal and Facebook, you're gonna see all of them. Watch out for Apple and Microsoft and Google. Like no one's gonna leave this space alone. And so I told my guys, I said, we got good news and bad news. The good news is we made a bet and it was the right bet and our industry is safe. The bad news is the competition's coming because the competition's <laughs> coming. And so you got to work just as hard because now it's a real industry, but Bitcoin's not going back to 6,000. Like all oh, people say, like, it's not, it just isn't. Uh, there is a lineup of people that want to buy it on dips. Everybody feels short because now that it's an asset class, if you're not in it, you're short the asset class. Right before it was a fringy thing, it was a maybe. It was a look at those weirdos doing it. Now you got to be in it. So, what do you think has changed in the past? You said in the past two months, so very recently, something changed to you that you think now this has become a real asset class. Critical mass, hmm. just a critical mass thing, right? And so, there's a great TED talk. I've said this before about what it takes to start a movement. And it's got a guy that walks out on a hill and he starts dancing like a maniac, arms and legs flying around. And everyone looks at him like he's a weirdo. And then a second person starts dancing with him. And they look at those guys like, yeah, they're kind of weird. The third person, and then the whole hill goes. And then everyone's dancing and it's a fun dance. In every part of the investment world, we saw it in hedge funds. Paul Tudor Jones, he got in and wrote a letter. And then Stan Druckenmiller, his friend said, yeah, I invested in Bitcoin too. Every macro hedge fund now has some Bitcoin. 
We're going to see it in insurance companies, in real money, in bank wealth channels, in in small groups of friends, in the hip hop community, right? Bitcoin is this infectious network where once enough people get in, enough people get in. Mm -hmm. And that's happened now at an institutional level. Uh, And so it's, it's an asset class. That's Bitcoin. The DeFi revolution, Ethereum, NFTs, that's happening at lightning speed as well. Partly because think about it, like someone selling an NFT project to someone, I was like, when I think about Satoshi's genius, and I think she really was a genius, it was it was the first digital signature you couldn't counterfeit. That's how a simple non-computer science guy like me thought about it. Mm-hmm. And when I understood that, I could explain it to people. Well, if you think about what I'm telling someone with NFT is, you know, if I create a three-dimensional fuck it button, uh, that's a fucking button, uh, (laughs) and I tell you, well, it's on a blockchain, it can't be counterfeited. I've already convinced you that's true with Bitcoin. It's not that hard. It's it's not that hard to convince you it's true with art. Right. And so now I just got to convince artists that are great, both digitally native and, and traditional artists to use this new medium because their art is safe. And that not only is it safe, when it sells, we can program in that every time it sells, they get a commission. So they don't sell a piece of art once and never see it again. And so the artists say, wow, that's really cool. And so we have this acceleration of the narrative, acceleration of the story of what a blockchain can do for society happening. More people get educated. Damn Clubhouse alone. I went on Clubhouse a few nights back and it's like a podcast, but people are live. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know how many people were on it, but a lot. Uh, and I'm thinking to myself, there are hundreds of these going on right now. Everyone's getting educated. And so part of COVID, and maybe it's not going to exi- exist as much after COVID because people your age are going to go out at night and get drunk and dance and have fun. Right now you're on Clubhouse. <laughs> right? But part of it, the, the, the COVID is we are educating people at a lightning speed about Bitcoin, about Ethereum, about DeFi, about NFTs. And so I'm optimistic that the, the time in between, you know, kind of first excitement and actual adoption is narrowing. Mm. And speaking of COVID, I wanted to get your thoughts on how the current macro environment, including COVID, um, including the potential um, rebounding of the economy because of the vaccine, how all of this will impact crypto. Well, it's confusing. So listen, COVID gave life to crypto, right? Because COVID gave life to this crazy fiscal and monetary response that all governments felt like they needed to do Mm -hmm. um, to keep the economy from collapsing. And so we have pumped tons of money into the space and assets went up, including Bitcoin, right? All assets went up. So total asset value in the world went up. Bitcoin's slice of that asset value grew. Mm -hmm. So you had two wins for Bitcoin. Um, What's happening now, COVID's coming to an end. Right. Praise to the uh, scientists, the scientists (laughs) who created these vaccines. Mm -hmm. Right. This 
shocking, you know, uh, MNRA, you know, breakthrough and um, hats off. We're all going to get jabbed uh, the bulk of people by beginning of summer. And we're going to wake up and there's going to be the roaring 20s. I know people have told the story, but I've got three kids probably your age and they are like bulls ready to travel and, you know, party and go out and shop and have fun. And listen, people my age are ready to do the same. And so you're going to see this explosion of consumer demand, um, explosion of activity, uh, explosion of, of inflation. And that is not good for the macro story of, of crypto. It's not good for the macro story of assets, right? It's okay. Interest rates are going to go higher. So I've been, hedging a lot of my crypto portfolios with interest rates, um, selling long bonds, selling five years, selling, selling, you know, U S fixed income product and even Japanese fixed income product. Um, and so that's a negative on the other hand, we have this giant adoption that's hit a tipping point. That's going to, that's happening no matter what. And so that's a positive. And so instead of having two positives, we've got one giant positive and one, medium negative. I still think crypto goes up. It doesn't go up at the pace it would have if the economy rolled over and, you know, we had another COVID or uh, God forbid. So walk me through that a little bit. Is is that um, negative because instead of all this money that's being pumped into the economy going into different assets, including risk assets um, and more volatile assets like, like Bitcoin, um, that uh, that stimulus is actually going to production because the economy is going uh, no, coming no, back to life. It's, it's, it's markets look ahead. It's people thinking, I know they promised they're going to pump money forever and ever and ever. Mm -hmm. But that now sounds kind of stupid. They're okay. going to have to change their mind in 18 months, mm -hmm. or 12 months or six months. Because when they look like there's an inflation fire, the central bank governor can't say, oh, don't worry about it. He's right. going to move rates. And if they take the, the the alcohol away from the punch bowl, the party is less fun. Got it. Okay. You ever been to a sober party? Not nearly as fun <laughs> as a party with a little bit of booze. Yeah. Okay. Got um, it. Right. So people are thinking uh, stimulus is is gone or, or reduced. The party's over. There will be less money slushing around in the economy. So less money to go into buying crypto. Yes. Yeah. Um. That's the negative. And the positive is this adoption is happening. That's why if you look at crypto, Bitcoin keeps going up and gold keeps going down, right? Because the story for gold is just the macro one. Mm. It doesn't have a new adoption story. Matter of fact, it has a negative because people are selling gold to buy Bitcoin. And so I used to own a lot of gold mm -hmm. and Bitcoin. And then I sold my gold, I don't know, a while ago. And now I'm short gold. It mm. feels like gold's going to go to 1500. Uh, I think it's 1670 or something today. Um, so what's that? Another 10% down there, there can be a world where gold goes down 10% and Bitcoin stays here or it goes higher. Hmm. And that's just adoption. Um, in, in the case of, of the adoption, um, story, that seems like it could be better suited for something like Ethereum or, or DeFi tokens than for Bitcoin. If, if you see Bitcoin as a like as digital gold or as like the digital store of value, 
And then you see Ethereum as the layer for, you know, Web3 or decentralized finance, like things that are actually getting use like for for something yeah, other than I, just I understand like your logic i think bitcoin's going to go higher even though the macro is not as good hmm. because like the trade's going downhill and there's a lot of momentum and so people need some in their portfolios and they have none mm-hmm. that alone bitcoin is such an easier story to sell to institutions because it's a macro asset right it's it's like 10 years or crude or S&P futures, it's a macro asset mm-hmm. where Ethereum is a venture bet. In what way? Well, are we gonna really rebuild on web 3.0? Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, tell me 10 projects that, you're, that are being used in the real world uh, on blockchain, right? They're not a lot. I, I like to talk about Luna token uh, because it runs on the Terra blockchain uh, you know, it's the Chai payment system. People actually use it in Korea now to, to for payments, about 6% of payments, right? We don't have a lot of 6% of anything, you know, from the crypto world that's spilled over to the to the real world. And so it's a, it's a venture bet because while we're building this thing, ETH2 doesn't work yet, right? It's not scalable yet. It's, it's not a product that's ready for prime time. It's getting there. Mm-hmm. And so the bet is it's gonna happen, not that it's happened. Got it. Bitcoin's right. happened. It's finished. Like it's a finished product. Mm-hmm. You buy a Bitcoin, you put it away, you know, you hodl it. Uh, there's like in a year, my experience with Bitcoin is going to look really similar to the way it looks today. My experience with Ethereum is going to look very different. True. Uh, my experience with DeFi is going to look shockingly different. Right. So I'm wildly bullish DeFi because when I think about a bank, if I'm Jamie Dynan, mm-hmm. I don't care about Bitcoin. It's another asset. I'm mad that I didn't allow my traders and asset management people to use it earlier because people cared about it. I could have made money, but it's not fundamentally altering what I do. When I look at DeFi, I say, oh shit. When I look at stable coins, I say, oh shit, right? JP Morgan makes $11 billion, $13 billion a year in cross-border payments. Hmm. Wow. That's a lot. Stable coins, payment currencies. That's why they're working so hard on JP Morgan coin, right? They, they're hiring more blockchain engineers. They're pouring more money into research. And so the threat to the banking system are, are stable coins and payments. I mean, and, uh, and DeFi, payments and DeFi, not, not Bitcoin, right? That's the threat. But that also means they're going to fight back lobbying regulation, they're going to push because this is, this is, now you're going after their business. Interesting. Bitcoin wasn't going after JP Morgan's business. That's why he was like, <laughs> right. <laughs> but, okay. But Uniswap is right. Going after the NASDAQ, SushiSwap is, mm-hmm. uh, Compound is, Ave is. Uh, and so now we're still early in all those projects. There's a regulatory piece that needs to get figured out. But the moment these things get regulatory compliant, which I don't think is that far away, you're going to see DeFi grow so much faster than anyone else thinks it's going to grow. Because I used to say, oh, yeah, in 10 years time, JP Morgan will be worried about it. It'll be in 18 months time. Oh, my God. So interesting. I I really want you to dig into that. I mean, the regulatory piece, for one. Um, You think... uh, Let's talk about regulatory. Yeah. It's all about KYC AML. Mm -hmm. For me to trade... 
with you, if I know you're KYC, I can trade with you. So I can be a peer-to-peer, you know, lender of money or, you know, buyer of assets on an exchange. But if I'm trading against a smart contract, I don't know who's on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. So if you can convince me that the person on the other side of it is blue checked and you can convince the regulators that that actually all works and makes sense. All right. Then who else is there to regulate? Because DeFi is like a piece of code. It's not like they're any, not people, right? Oh, let's talk to the code, right? This idea of driverless banks, you know, that term was coined by Brian Brooks. It's a great term or driverless insurance companies or driverless, you know, derivative exchanges. Um, it's fascinating mm-hmm. because they can grow robustly and grow fast with a the, with the huge network effect. And so really, to me, cracking the KYC piece, really important. Do you think, um, I mean, it, it's just so hard to do because it's at the core of DeFi, the fact that it should be permissionless, that anyone can access it, that you're just interacting directly with code. So it seems to go just so directly against the idea of, of KYC. Yeah, but it's not going to work unless it, 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 it literally will not work. Um, it will be smushed uh, if it doesn't beat the KYC. So you can literally see I'm interacting with a smart contract that will only let me interact with someone who's got a blue check. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's like a matching engine that only matches you with blue checks. Right. Blue check metaphorically, of course. Yeah. Uh, and so we'll see. There's some projects being worked on. I'm starting to get above my pay grade, but I just know from our we're a regulated entity, right? And we mm-hmm. we play by the rules because you know Gary Genzer was interesting. He in one of his lectures, and I'm going to paraphrase. He said the thing about regulation is you have two sets of rules. You allow little guys to break the rules a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's how innovation happens but you don't let the big guys break the rules. Uh, and so when I first started this company, I was like, I wonder if we're big guys or little guys. Uh, and we decided we were big guys since we went public. And mm-hmm. so we haven't broken the rules, but mm-hmm. we have lots of you know, friends and people I admire that are out there, they're pushing the edge of, of the rules. Mm-hmm. That's how innovation happens. And I think we're gonna see that. Um, but I think Gensler will be good because he is understands this. He's smart, and he likes to be smart. Like he likes to, he likes for people to understand that he understands. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that in a pejorative way. Mm-hmm. He will make things very clear, much more clear uh, than the last SEC chairman, right? Uh, chairman Clayton. Clayton. He didn't really care about crypto. He didn't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Ezra will want to talk about it. And so, like, the more clear the rules are, the faster innovation will happen. So, I mean, we could have a, a sort of middle ground between DeFi and institutions where maybe, um, yeah, there's kind of this KYC area of DeFi where institutions are allowed to play <laughs> or are allowed to like start getting into this, this space. Yeah. And listen, in, in the long run, um, most people, when they're pushed, want some pseudo-anonymous KYC, right? Mm-hmm. I, I'm okay with people having to be legitimate players to play in an ecosystem. I just don't, I'm not okay with you getting to know everything about them. Right. And so that's the right balance that governments and regulators and the community has to find. 
I was on a call with uh, a central bank governor talking about their version of a central bank issued digital currency and how centralized it should be. And, and that's a really, really complicated and important question, right? If it's China, it's not centralized, it's, it's completely centralized and they have complete access to all your spending data. And so they know you're pregnant before you know you're pregnant, you know, or you're gay before you tell people you're gay just by mm-hmm. what you stop and spend, or you're thinking about not voting or thinking about, uh, right? And so that's way too intrusive in people's lives in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're not going to get zero, right? And so what what's the what's that right balance between privacy and and the government's right to, or the government's not right, the government's desire Ability? Okay. and perceived yeah. need to make sure that bad actors aren't ransacking the place. Yeah, I, it would just be so um, ironic if in the end blockchain is used by governments to um, infringe more on people's freedoms and, and privacy. I, you uh, know, I, I did a... I did a, t- a talk in 2016 or 17 with, oh, I can't think of his name. It was at, <clears throat> it was at the Lion Tree Conference. And, and I've ruined the story because I can't think of the guy's name. It's easy. He's a <laughs> genius. And he made that prediction. My, he was like, mark my words, uh, Sam Lessing. Uh, Sam Lessing, great investor, uh, smart as heck guy. He was like, mark my words, uh, there's as much of a chance that this shit's used for invasion of your privacy, for protection of your privacy. And you can see it in China. Yeah, well, maybe in, in authoritarian regimes, that, that's that's what's going to happen. Hopefully not in the U.S. Let's hope not. <laughs> yeah. Um, for about DeFi, about, I know about, that... Chile? In Chile, depends on where, where it's heading. Um, I don't like the direction Chile is heading <laughs> right now, but... We'll see. We don't have to get into that. <laughs> um, so, okay, on on DeFi, you personally, uh, because I know um, Galaxy is a part of the big uh, the big guys, so you have to play by the rules. But have you kind of what have you done on 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 DeFi, and what are what are your thoughts? Like, are you yield farming? We've invested in a lot of protocols, uh, a lot, and we are deep in our regulatory um, exploration on things like yield farming and, mm. and how to use the protocols uh, and where we can use them. Uh, and so some we do, we, we, we stake on some, on some systems, uh, but we're not nearly as active as I think we will be once we get, get a little more regulatory clarity. No, some of this is onshore versus offshore stuff. Some of this is, uh, and so right now, the dominance of our, the, the, the preponderance of what we do is investing in the, the best teams and the best protocols and watching other people use them. <laughs> and can you name, I mean, which are kind of your top DeFi investments? Um, so we have lots of early stage investments, right? Things like one inch, which we think is mm-hmm. going to be great. Um, I also have a, a portfolio of, I think, the kind of DeFi blue chips, Mm-hmm. Right. Sushi, Uniswap, YFI, um, Ave, Compound. I mean, I think that th- these are core portfolio investments now. And 
do they look expensive? Yeah, they look expensive. But the one thing I learned is stuff that really can grow at an accelerating rate can stay expensive a long, long time. <laughs> and, you know, the stuff, I mean, I have Luna token. Luna is one of my favorites because it's being used in the real world, right? It's a payment, you know, it's a payment coin. And, mm -hmm. and Doe, the CEO, is a little bit like a, a mini version of, or maybe I shouldn't call it a mini version, he's going to slap me, uh, a Korean version of, uh, you know, Sam Bankman fried just a mm. hustling entrepreneur that's building a whole ecosystem around him and, and has lots of followers and lots of excitement. And so, um, yeah, that's, listen, the space is where in, not just at Galaxy and at most firms, you're, you find the, the most creative and smartest guys, right? That's, that's where all the, the, the cool innovation is happening. Hmm. Uh, and and so from your kind of exploration on the reg, like regulatory front, you, you found that staking was was okay to do? So you said you're staking on some platform? Listen, some it's, of these? It's, it's different on different, each situation is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. um, and so I hope and expect to be a user of almost all uh, the different aspects of, of DeFi soon, mm -hmm. right? Listen, I, of course, I want to trade on, on sushi and Uniswap and, uh, we are more cautious than, than some because we're regulated like 16 ways to Sunday. Um, right. Um, I wanted to ask you about your, uh, your Ethereum funds, um, that were just uh, disclosed to the SEC. Uh, I saw their, it was reported uh, there was uh, 32 million invested in two different Ethereum funds. Um, so, I mean, this is interesting to me because obviously, big, big, big institutional investors are the ones buying these funds, right? So, um, so listen, everyone goes on the same journey, mm -hmm. literally from from the 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 newbie or they call them noobs, you know, to to, to institutions. They start with Bitcoin. And they're like, hey, what's next? Oh, tell me about this Ethereum. And you explain Ethereum, what it does. And then they're like, tell me about this DeFi. And so everyone kind of goes on that journey and institutions are on that journey. Mm -hmm. And so Ethereum is a is a is is the second place they land. Uh, we're launching a Ethereum ETF up in Canada, uh, hopefully this month. Mm -hmm. uh, and so a lot of these funds will be replaced in some ways with these ETFs. Um, you know, you'll run them side by side, but a lot of, you know, beta funds where you're just giving someone exposure to Bitcoin or, or Ethereum, they're like stepping stone funds because okay. it'll be easier to buy in the ETFs at one point. Some people will still buy in funds. The future of asset management in crypto is not beta, it's alpha. It's, you know, can you do interesting things with the crypto? Mm -hmm. um, but again, crawl, walk, run. You know, this industry is in its, you know, if we were a, if we were a human, we're about eight years old, like we're eight years old. We're not even high school kids yet. Uh, right. We're so early. It's the first inning, if you want to use a baseball metaphor. Uh, and so that's what's exciting. When I told my 140 employees, I was like, what I'm really excited about is I now know 
we're in a really awesome growing industry and it'll be bigger next year and bigger the year after and bigger the year after. So if you're a 26 year old kid that just left normal Wall Street to come here, I can look you in the eye and say you got a great career. Hmm. Three years ago, I'd look him in the eye and say, you're taking a lot of risk. More risk than me because I'm already rich. I think I think you're going to have a good career, but I don't know you're going to have a good career. And now I say, I know you're going to have a good career. So it's a big difference in mindset. It's why we're able to recruit such great talent. It's, I mean, I think you, uh, you said it recently that crypto or, or Bitcoin is becoming de-risks. I mean, that's, that's what you're, yeah. The careers are being de-risked. Investing is being de-risked. Listen, if you were a hedge fund manager, Two years ago, when you bought Bitcoin at 10,000 and next thing you know, it's down to 4,000, there's a decent chance your investors are like, dude, how stupid are you? You bought tulips? What the fuck is it? Bitcoin? What is a Bitcoin anyway? Mm-hmm. Right? Now, if you buy Bitcoin and it goes down, it's just a bad trade. Hmm. It's a um, big difference in psychology. But and at the same time, you, you know that this industry is going to grow and it's going to grow really quickly. I mean, you, you said earlier in the interview, um, it's going to be incredible how, how much DeFi grows in, in the next 18 months. So i um, curious to hear your thoughts on where do you expect uh, this space to be, to look like in 18 months? I think you're going to have companies like ours be double in size. Um, there are going to be more companies like ours, the traditional banks are going to be getting into the space. Um, oh. And or desks. And so it's just going to be another part of, from, uh, from an investing perspective, it's going to be another part of Wall Street. Now, I think the tech guys are going to go after Wall Street, right? There's a battle. This is the new bank account. <laughs> Right. And so I think PayPal, when they got involved, that was the message they sent. And so are you going to have your bank account on your iPhone? Maybe. Apple Wallet's a pretty cool wallet. Wait till they put Bitcoin and the rest of crypto on there. Uh, Are you going to trust Apple? They've been pretty good for privacy. Are you going to have it at Chase Manhattan still Uh, or or JP Morgan? Like these are big decisions that people are going to have to fight over. But I think that's what you're going to see the the world shifting to. And so I don't know who's going to be the biggest player in crypto. It might be Facebook. Right. Uh, do, do you think I mean, do you think it will be um, companies emerging in crypto from like crypto or do you think it will be um, out, outsiders coming in like you yeah, know, big we'll web see, two companies? We'll see who's better. Um, I think a lot of the outsiders are going to try to buy the emerging crypto companies. Hmm. They just are. They have just so much money and talent and whatnot. And you're, so you'll see banks try to buy crypto companies. You're already seeing it, right? Look at Coinbase was swallowing up people. PayPal's looking to swallow up people. Visa will look to swallow up people, uh, right? These guys don't want to be left behind. And the tech companies are quicker to do that than the financial companies. Mm-hmm. But the landscape, we have an investment banking business. We think it's going to be really busy because it just makes too much sense that people are going to say, hold on, how do I get involved? And how can I speed up getting involved? Um, I want to talk to you about your price targets, because uh, I know you said you 
you predicted Bitcoin will get to 100K um, by the end of the year. Do you, I mean, is that still the case? And also what, what's your target for ETH? Um, so at the beginning of the year, uh, my, my Bitcoin price target was 58,000. Uh, 55 to 60,000, because I thought that would have been 10% of gold. And we got there in two months. So then I changed my target to 100. Listen, um, like I said before, there's positives and negatives, right? There's a macro negative, I think, this year for Bitcoin, but there's a structural positive. So I do still think we can get to 100K. Um, you know, ETH, I'm, I'm guessing more, but it could get to 3,000. Right, I think we could take out 2,000 and then we'll be at 3,000 or 4,000 faster mm -hmm. than you think. Um, and that probably is it, you know, uh, but the, you know, these are guesses, guesses based on charts, guesses based on seeing the, the demand coming into the space. I know one thing, stable coins are gonna be used a whole lot more every week for the rest of our lives. Mm. So if you believe that, you've got to be long Ethereum. Right. Listen, Ethereum might not win, but it's the lead horse, right? Of all these protocols. I'm having my, my, my team map out all layer one and really we're going to do a deep dive into truly, really understanding what are the, you know, the permutations of what layer one's going to look like. Oh, interesting. I, I'd love to see that report. Right. Cause there's lots of things, you know, like, and there's a lot of, you know, blockchain's a big word that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, right? You can have a small, tight, federated blockchain that really just feels like a database controlled by six people. <laughs> and people can call it a blockchain, mm -hmm. right? Look at what Flow's doing, uh, or Dapper Labs is doing with Flow. Yeah. Um, because it's much more convenient to process on than something that's as decentralized uh, and safe is Ethereum. And so what projects feel a need for safety and, and decentralization versus speed and less safety, like that's all going to play out in the next bit of time. Um, yeah. If I had a crystal ball, I would tell you who's going to win. But my, my, my gut is, at least in the next year, you're going to see so much built on Ethereum or tried to be built on Ethereum, are planning to be built on Ethereum, that it drives the price of Ethereum up. Do you think actually decentralized blockchains will win in the long run? I think for big giant stores of value and stores of IP, yes. But I think there will be a, a lot of room for more centralized, faster, other blockchains. I don't think people distrust as much as the spirit of the revolution. Mm. Right? If you think about what a, the blockchain revolution was a general distrust for the system. You know, does Harvard need to put their grades on a blockchain? Not really, people trust Harvard, they're not gonna change your grades. You know? <laughs> and, so, and we're even seeing it with, you know, all the NBA Top Shop stuff on Dapper, is that the safest and, you know, best blockchain out there? Of course not, uh, on Flow. At one point, we'll see what consumers demand. I think they're gonna more demand a better user interface and user experience than they are decentralization and 
and security even. Mm-hmm. Yep, could be. But that's, um, again, I'm not, I'm just guessing at these thoughts, but that's, that's, that's the conversation to watch, right? Um, it'll be interesting. Um, and then, I mean, you have this like very high price targets um, and it does feel like the, the space is just heating up uh, so much. It feels a, a little bit like 2017. And then, of course, after we got to the peak in late 2017, 2018, everything crashed back down. Um, you said already that you you believe uh, the sector has been de-risked. But I mean, do you think something like like that can still still happen and obviously still be, go up in the long run, uh, but still have these uh, these bear markets in between? You know, uh, listen, markets go up and they go down. Um, I don't think we're going to have a crash. This is different than 2017. In 2017, most of the projects were shit. Uh, and there was no differentiation between good projects and crappy projects. The market was too new to understand uh, and so you had a giant supply response. Everyone issued tokens, too many tokens, and the price went down. The market's much smarter today. It's harder to issue things, and they're much smarter. They're not, it's not perfectly smart. I think we're going to see a bubble in NFTs, which will crash. Uh, but I'm still bullish NFTs, or the NFT space. And I think that there'll be like many bubbles that crash and will come right back. I do think you're going to see more and more beautiful art, great artists create stuff on NFTs. You're going to see more people with brand try to understand how do I monetize my IP? How do I protect my IP? Like that story is not getting put back in the bottle, right? Oh, no, I don't want to do that. Now, who's going to say that? Every single creative person I know has called me in the last two months. I mean, I didn't realize I know so many rappers. (laughs) (laughs) How do I do an NFT, right? Mm -hmm. And so people are smart. They realize this is a better way to protect my IP, better way to um, to monetize things. And so I think we're at the beginning of a really exciting path. It will be up and down some, there'll be too much excitement, but I don't think we're in a bubble. Hmm. I don't. Um, we had a bubble in 17 and now we're in a movement. Uh, and this is a secular bull market in crypto and blockchain and and in Bitcoin. And that's where I think we're allowed to breathe, be less stressed, be more excited. Maybe should end right there with that, that quote. We can end in that high note. <laughs> really, really great uh, conversation, Mike. I, I, I really appreciate your time. Uh, great getting your thoughts on all these topics. It was, yeah, great, great chatting. Thanks so much. And before we close, here's another word about our awesome sponsors. Don't let high gas costs keep you out of Ethereum. At Balancer, you can trade all you want and get most of the gas costs back in your pocket. In their new Bal for Gas campaign, traders are receiving six figures worth of Bal tokens every week. And with V2 just around the corner, Balancer is becoming the one-stop shop for DeFi liquidity. Balancer V2 brings stable pools and weighted pools tightly integrated under a single protocol, flash loans, lending via asset managers, and much more. Check it out at balancer.finance. Check out Kraken, where you can earn additional rewards by staking some of your favorite DeFi assets, 
With more than one billion in crypto stake, including 350,000 ETH, Kraken has paid out 27 million worth of rewards to their clients. Payouts are twice a week and you can earn up to 20% annually. Sign up today at kraken.com and start earning some of the most popular DeFi assets, including Polkadot, Uniswap, Aave, and more. Sirion offers a simple interface to access and use decentralized finance. You can connect your favorite wallet, trade tokens, liquidity provider shares, and vaults in a single transaction. And then you'll be able to track your PL, average costs, and fees paid. All of this now is also available on mobile. Blockchain technology is a series of compromises, whether it be on speed, decentralization, or security. No layer one protocol supports everything enterprises, developers, and consumers need. Casper aims to provide the blockchain ecosystem with a solution that makes no compromises around decentralization, security, or performance. Learn more at casper.network. I'll continue to interview all the major founders and influencers in this emerging space. When DeFi eats the world, you can say you heard them here first. Tune in next week.